When my wife and I lived in America, I was listening to the news one day, and I heard of a little baby, a little infant that was found dead. If my recollection serves me correctly this morning, found dead in a cardboard box left outside of a local hospital on the steps in the middle of winter. The child had been abandoned by its mother who apparently thought someone was bound to see and find that little infant and take it into the hospital and care for it. But sadly, it was so cold that particular night, the infant died of exposure before it could be discovered. As a result, a new law was eventually introduced, allowing young mothers to abandon their unwanted babies without fear of prosecution. And throughout the city, so-called baby drop-off boxes were placed in certain strategic areas, monitored day and night, so that abandoned babies could be rescued within minutes, if not seconds. Needless to say, it was, of course, a very controversial law. And it was certainly a very sad reflection upon the society and indeed upon the world in which we live today. The abortion of the unborn baby in the womb or the abandonment of unwanted children reflects the lack of natural affection that every child should expect from a father and a mother even in this fallen and sin-cursed world. If you turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 49, God asks a seemingly unthinkable question I trust it will seem unthinkable to every normal, loving mother and father or grandparent in the congregation here today. In verse 15, God asks this question, Can a woman, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion? on the son of her womb. And God gives us the answer, an answer that in reality faces us every day in Northern Ireland. When mothers will abandon their children, when mothers will have their unborn babies in their very womb murdered, this question, can a woman forget her sucking child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. And God says, yea, yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget 
thee. This verse is both shocking and comforting all at the same time. Yes, sadly, we live in a society, in a community, where a mother can abandon or even murder her child and then seemingly forget about that child. But God assures every child of his, every man, woman, young person, who has the experience of the new birth, having been born again from above, adopted into the household, into the family of faith, the family of God. God assures every Christian here this morning, I will never forget you. Or as God emphasizes elsewhere again and again in the scripture, I will never forsake you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God will never forsake his child. In a congregation of this size, I am sure there are believers here today. And perhaps you're going through some stressful circumstance in life, some deep, dark valley experience. Perhaps you've fallen into a backslidden condition maybe even guilty of scandalous sin. And yet God assures us in his word, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you belong to Jesus Christ not for the years of time alone, but for an endless eternity. You have a relationship with God's Son, having been born again of God's Spirit, having been united to Jesus Christ by faith, that is an irreversible and unbreakable union. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, you are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the dwelling place of Almighty God. Jesus Christ dwells in your heart by faith. And Jesus Christ, God, the Eternal Son, God who cannot lie, assures Every Christian in this house today, I will never forget you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. No matter how deep you fall into sin, no matter how cold your heart may be in God's house this morning, you may not even sense the presence of God here with you today. But nonetheless, God's word is truth. It is the word of God who cannot lie. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God will never abandon his child. God will never abandon the believer. And yet when we come to our text this morning, God's holy, holy, holy child Jesus Christ, cries out in absolute agony, the most horrific lament ever heard in the history of the world. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, 
My God. My God. I think it is good for us to pause and consider how the Lord Jesus Christ even hanging upon the cross in agony and blood refers to the Father as Eli, Eli. You will discover that when the Lord Jesus Christ repeats the name of an individual, that oftentimes, if not always, it is to reveal his great love for that particular person. I'm sure you recall the time when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Bethany. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that the Lord Jesus Christ loved Lazarus even though he fell ill and died. Uh, when trials come, when sickness comes, that does not mean that Jesus Christ does not love you. That is oftentimes what some of God's people think and imagine when trials come our way. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, loved Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus Christ loved Mary. And the Lord Jesus Christ loved Martha. But there was one particular occasion when Christ entered into that home and the crowds were pressing in. Mary was seated at the Master's feet, but Martha, she was cumbered about with much serving. And as she saw the guests arriving, as she saw the work that had to be done to entertain the folk who were coming in, to hear words whereby they could be saved, and she was trying to feed and cater, she was under horrendous pressure, and eventually she lost her temper. She blew a fuse. And under that extreme pressure, she went to the Lord Jesus Christ she looked the Son of God in the eye. And she took out her anger with Mary, her sister, upon Christ. And she accused the Lord and said, Carest thou not that my sister has left me to serve alone? And even though she came with this false accusation against Christ and with anger in her heart, the Lord said, and they were certainly words of rebuke, but they were spoken with the deepest of love. Martha. Martha. You think of the eve of the crucifixion. When Jesus Christ had foretold of the sufferings that he was about to endure, the scourging, the mocking, how he would be put to death. And he came to Peter and he warned all the disciples, but Peter was offended by the teaching of Christ when the Savior told the disciples that they would all forsake him. And Peter rose up and he Rebuke Christ. He says, I would never do such a thing. I will go with you to jail. I will go with you to prison. I'll lay down my life for you, but I would never ever deny you. I would never ever forsake you. And the Lord knew exactly what Peter would do. 
Again, it seems unimaginable. When we think of the Apostle Peter, not merely disowning Christ and denying Christ again and again and again, but denying Jesus Christ with oaths and with cursing. Nonetheless, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon. And even though Peter was going to fall into scandalous sin and bring shame and disgrace to the name of Christ and the church, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him with a heart full of love and looked upon him with eyes full of pity. Even after Peter denied him, Christ looked upon him. And the look of Christ melted Peter's heart. Because Christ looked upon him with eyes and with a heart full of love. And we could have other illustrations as well. We think of Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, and so on and so forth. And when we come to our text here this morning, and we think of Christ suffering in agony and blood, being mocked and scoffed and ridiculed with all the powers of hell and darkness, the world, Gentiles and Jews opposing him, the disciples having forsaken him. Nonetheless, Jesus Christ cries out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God. And again, it is an expression of the Savior's perfect love for his Father. Even hanging upon the cross, Jesus Christ never ceased to love his Father. He never ceased to love God perfectly. We need to remember that while our sins were laid upon Christ legally, Christ never sinned. He never sinned. He was always, even upon the cross, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Even when he bore our sins in his own body on that middle tree legally, when the Father laid upon him your sin and my sin, Jesus Christ never sinned personally against God nor against man. He loved man perfectly and he loved God perfectly and he cries out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? As we consider this question recorded in Holy Scripture, I think it is safe to say this is the most profound question ever to have been asked. A question that certainly demands our attention this morning. Especially so as we prepare our hearts and our minds to come to the Lord's table. And to remember who Christ is. And what Christ has done for us. As he hung in agony and blood upon that middle tree. Now notice in the first place here very quickly. 
Our text draws our attention to the actual or the authentic sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. I can remember growing up in the Free Presbyterian Church. Uh, my father, he was there in Crossgar from the very beginning. I've been steeped in gospel truth since my youngest days. And as a teenager, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was amazing the strange, the unscriptural, and we need to say sinful thoughts that fill the minds of our young people at times, emphasizing the great need for that constant, that systematic teaching uh, from the Word of God and even catechizing. And we thank God for our Sunday schools and we thank God for our Sabbath school teachers and our Bible class leaders who dedicate their lives to instructing young men and women in the things of God, to instruct them in the scriptures of truth and to catechize them. And I was certainly taught the great doctrine of the deity of Christ and the great doctrine of the true humanity of Christ, that our Redeemer is the God-man. But I can remember as a young child thinking to myself, Surely the cross must have been, in some sense, easier for Jesus Christ to bear. Since, as well as being man, he was Almighty God. And yet, in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. The very opposite is true. Because Jesus Christ was Almighty God and because Jesus Christ was truly man in one person, no one ever suffered. No one ever sorrowed as the Lord Jesus Christ did when he hung in agony, bearing away our sin under the wrath of Almighty God. Our text tells us that Christ cried with a loud voice. The word uh, translated cried there uh, means a most intense, a most earnest cry of pain. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those words, of course, are found way back in the Psalms. They are prophetic words referring to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 22. And some people would suggest, well, Jesus Christ was just quoting these words. He was merely play acting. Well, I can assure you upon the authority of God's truth this morning, Jesus Christ was not play acting. When he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ was suffering. Jesus Christ was sorrowing in a manner that you and I could not possibly even begin to fathom nor understand. Being God of very God as well as truly man. Jesus Christ was infinitely more sensitive to sin 
and to the wrath of God, his own Father, that was unleashed upon his body and upon his soul without mercy, without mixture. I will tell you something, there's not a soul in hell today suffering the wrath of God today that could ever fully understand what it meant for Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, to suffer the wrath of God on Calvary. The word loud is a Greek word. Jesus cried with a loud voice. It is the word megas or mega. And I don't need to explain to you the meaning of that word, mega, great. Here was a great cry. I would suggest to you a unique, a uniquely great cry. There was never a cry like this cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not even from the depths of hell is there such a cry. Remember in Lamentations 1 and verse 12, we read there the words of Jeremiah the prophet, and Jeremiah in a sense was personifying the city of Jerusalem, the streets running red with blood. And he lays down this challenge to look through the corridors of time, of history, and to see if there was ever any suffering to be compared to the suffering of Jerusalem. Lamentations 1 verse 12, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. And there is no doubt God was chastising uh, the people of Israel, of Jerusalem for their backsliding, for their apostasy. They were going into captivity. That is all true. But these words are most applicable to Christ. These words echo from the heart, the soul of the God-man. Throughout the corridors of time and of history, down into the depths of hell, into the heights of heaven. No one can say as Jesus Christ could say, is it nothing to you? You in Korean Free Presbyterian Church, you young people who cannot wait to hear the final amen and get out the door and do your own thing in the Lord's day. I know it is to sit where you are sitting and to be bored to tears by a preacher like me. It is evidence that you're dead spiritually. And I pity you. But is it nothing to you? 
Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which is done unto me, wherewith the world, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers. It doesn't say that. Is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow wherewith the devils in hell are now assaulting me? He doesn't say that. Is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me? Wherewith God hath afflicted me? In the day of his fierce anger as he pours out his fury, his indignation, his wrath upon the head and soul of Christ as Christ bore away our sin in his own body on that tree. Notice this cry was preceded by three hours of supernatural darkness Darkness in the Bible, of course, in many instances, is a picture of God's judgment. You think of Israel and Egypt, and God sent those plagues to bring about the exodus, the deliverance of his people. And there was this great darkness that came upon the Egyptians. A darkness. That could be felt. Christ could feel the darkness. Of the judgment of God. From 12 noon to 3 p.m. The darkness. Shrouded the sufferings of Christ. In great mystery. Christ was kneeled to the cross. In full view of all the world. To see. And yet in this supernatural darkness, the greatest sufferings of Christ went unseen by human eye. Isaiah 53 verse 10 reveals that the very soul of Christ, yes, his body suffered, but the Bible emphasizes as a true man, the very soul of Jesus Christ had to suffer. His soul was made an offering for sin. I would never dream of making little of the physical sufferings of Jesus Christ. I hope you've got that already. We're about in a few moments' time to sit around the Lord's table to break bread. The bread is the emblem of Christ's broken body. The cup is the emblem of his shed blood. His physical sufferings were real. And his physical sufferings were absolutely essential, vital for the salvation of your soul and mine. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. But we need to understand that the greatest sufferings of Jesus Christ were suffered in his soul. Shrouded by this great darkness hidden from the eyes of men. 
When Jesus Christ made his soul an offering for sin, when the torments of God's wrath without mercy were unleashed against him, the hymn writer says, none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night. The Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost. But as well as these authentic sufferings of Jesus Christ, we see his sufferings were atoning. The question is asked why. Christ is asking this question, not because he didn't know the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ, throughout his earthly ministry, asked many questions, not because he was ignorant of the answer, but to provoke men and women to think. People don't like to come to God's house to think. It's too much like hard work. But you're here to think upon Christ today. Christ had Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church upon his heart and in his mind when he cried to God, My God, my God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Christ wants every man, woman, young person in this house today to seriously consider this question. Why did God forsake his only begotten son, the darling of his bosom? I can just briefly mention here the reason why, Isaiah tells us, chapter 53, verse 5, why did Christ suffer anything? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, that's what we're reading of here in this cry from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here is Christ being chastised by his Father in a manner that our minds cannot fathom nor comprehend. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, your sin and mine deserves the pains of hell forever, the wrath of God for eternity. You and I deserve, because of the least of our sins, the least of our sins deserves That God forsake us, abandon us to the depths of hell forever. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Uh, this is why Jesus Christ was forsaken. This is why Jesus Christ was abandoned by God. Christ took our place. He suffered in our guilty room instead. The wrath, the punishment that your sin and my sin deserves. 
We deserve to be abandoned by God forever. We deserve to be forsaken by God in hell for eternity. But Jesus Christ took that punishment in our place upon the cross of Calvary. If you're not saved this morning, this is a sobering, solemn warning. Very soon you'll hear, if you don't obey the gospel, repent from your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation very, very soon. Maybe sooner than you think, young man. Sooner than you think, young woman. You'll hear God, you'll hear the judge of all the earth say, depart from me. Depart from me, ye cursed. Forever into everlasting punishment, into everlasting hell. Prepared for the devil and his angels. In closing, our time is gone. I can just mention this. We see here the authentic, the assuring sufferings of Christ. There's great assurance here for the child of God in the atoning death of Christ. Christ having been forsaken by God upon the cross in our place for our sins assures every believer that God will never Forsake you. No matter how cold your heart is this morning. No matter how backslidden you may be. No matter what scandalous sin you've fallen into. Maybe you're dragging the holy name of Jesus Christ through the gutter. I'm not making little of sin. But God assures the very least of his people. Maybe some cannot sense his presence in the depths of some dark valley experienced this morning. But God assures every child of his. I will never fail thee. I will never forsake thee. I am with you always. Christ has been forsaken in our place. It would now be sinful, unjust, for God to forsake those for whom Christ shed his blood and died. Payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand. And then again at mine. There is no friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Tell me, child of God, 
did e'er a saint find this friend forsake him? Did you? Believer, has Christ ever forsaken you? Be honest. The answer is no. Did our saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. If you don't know Christ as your friend and savior today, come to him. He will love you. He'll love you with an everlasting love. He will love you with a love that will never let you go. Let's bow together for prayer. Our gracious God, our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for sending the Spirit of Thy Son into our hearts that we can pray with assurance, Abba, Father, knowing that our God will never abandon us. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy people here, and we pray that they shall have this blessed assurance in their hearts and in their souls as they wait behind to remember Thy death or as they leave to travel home. We pray that we will sense God's presence to be with us always. For those out of Christ, O God, bring them under deep conviction of sin. May they flee now from the wrath that is to come. May they repent and come to know Christ by faith and leave this house rejoicing in God's salvation, so full, so rich, and so free. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. We're turning to the hymn number 95 as our closing hymn. I know our time's long gone. If you're not waiting behind to remember the Savior's death in his own appointed way, you'll be free to leave after the singing of verse 1. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. We'll stand together as we sing.